1: Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. FTX fires the first shot of the next great stablecoin war. We'll discuss a report that the exchange is working on its own stablecoin. Plus, what can young entrepreneurs do to make it in this volatile world of crypto? We will speak live with young quantitative trader Casper Vandeluk of Musca Capital. Stay tuned for that. My name is Mark Oliveira. Moritz Siebert is with me today. What's up, Moritz? How's it going?
2: Hey, Marco, it's uh, always great to see you. I'm always doing fine. As you know, I don't have time for being miserable, so just great. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, Before we get started
1: into the stories, I have to say that all of us here at Real Vision know that things are tough out there. So to stay true to our mission to help investors, we have just reduced the price of a subscription to Real Vision Essential to $99 a year. And a subscription to the plus tier is just $400 a year until the end of October. There's also a juicy juicy discount on our pro crypto tier. Scan the QR code at the bottom or head over to realvision.com forward slash crash pricing to learn more. All right, with that said, let's jump into the latest price action. After a crazy 24 hours, it looks like things have finally stabilized. Bitcoin is down slightly, trading around 20,600. It came within touching distance of 21,000, but topped at 20 20- $20,983 Wednesday, according to CoinMarketCap. Decrypt cites data from CoinGlass, showing that as much as $1.13 billion was liquidated across the markets in 24 hours on Tuesday and Wednesday, with the vast majority of it being short positions or bets against price rising. Similarly, Ethereum didn't manage to hit 1600 Nonetheless, the currency enjoyed a big jump in price. Some traders are now taking the gains, with ETH down about 2% on a 24-hour basis. And then the final token we're looking at today is Dogecoin. It's been surging as Elon Musk's buyout of Twitter appears to be finally getting to a close. The deadline for the deal is set to go through tomorrow. Moritz, we have finally have something to talk about here with these prices. What do you make of
2: all of it? <laughs> Can't comment on Dogecoin. I've I've never been along that asset. So it's it's just uh, amazing to watch. But hey, I'm I'm actually happy to see some movement finally going back into the crypto markets. Let's see if that you know if there's going to be some follow-through on that breakout because Honestly, since the June lows, let's see if they were the lows, but you know, it's the most recent low, um, essentially Bitcoin has been range bound. It's like, you know, in a four or $5,000 range and it's been like watching paint dry, really nothing has happened with that asset, which used to be one of the most volatile assets in the world. You know, implied vols were a hundred, then they're down 80 it's realizing 25, which is less than the S and P 500. So it's kind of like completely upside down. Nothing has been moving in crypto. So it's, it's good to see some action coming back. Helps us as a business on the exponential H side. Um, hopefully it's, you know, releasing to the top side. That's all I can say. Kind of happy to see some volatility coming back.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully it sticks, uh, you know, as, as it goes. Because, I mean, we've seen Bitcoin kind of do this kind of thing before. And then obviously other cryptos follow Bitcoin. So, you know, maybe we'll be heading back down. But yeah. I guess only time will tell.
2: Sorry sorry to interrupt. And, uh, you know, the the other thing on the the liquidations, you mentioned that ahead of the show. I found that interesting. I just spoke to, to volatility traders saying that, oh, yeah, there were liquidations in Delta space, but it hasn't even, you know, it has nothing... It, it it didn't it wasn't enough to really change vol surfaces. So vol has kind of like stayed where it was. It's kinda of like the term structure is massively flat still. So it didn't it didn't kind of like follow through there. But I was surprised to see these liquidations, like the magnitude of the liquidations happening because you know, usually people are levered long and you know they liquidated on a on on a move lower but here it's a move higher and they got liquidated out of short positions so i was just surprised to see that there was that much short delta sitting in the markets and derivatives um but you know you you never stop learning i guess in that space
1: yeah a a few of it uh, we were talking i think off camera too about ftx and how a lot of that was on uh, ftx's exchanges i think it was 600 million we reported yesterday the number is higher Mm -hmm. And you were saying that a lot of retail traders trade on FTX, which and they're usually the ones that are long. So it's kind of interesting sure. uh, to see that happen as well. Anyways, let's look at our top story today. And as we talk about FTX, uh, in an interview with the Big Whale, Sam Beckman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, revealed the exchange is working on its own stablecoin. He didn't reveal too many details, only saying that we're going to hear more about it soon. Some of FTX's rivals have already uh, already run or have links to stablecoins. For example, Binance or BUSD, uh, Coinbase is partnered with Circle, which of course is the, U- the Issuer of USDC. Uh, USDC is ranked as the fifth largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Binance USD is seventh. However, Tether or USDT topples both of them as the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Notably, just a few days ago, SBF said in a tweet that Binance's decision to convert USDC into BUSD is kicking off a second great stablecoin war. BUSD's stablecoin market share has been growing. It's now at an all time high of 15.5%. So, Moritz, all of this sounds like the opening salvo of a third great stablecoin war what do you make of all of this
2: i'm not sure if war is the right word honestly marco i don't need i mean how many stable coins how many usd stable coins does the world need you know two maybe three maybe five ten i'm not so sure about that i mean why i mean there's one us dollar i'd love it for other stable coin currencies to come into existence like you know for instance the euro still doesn't have a major stable coin There is no major stable coin for the Swiss franc. There's no major stable coin for the Japanese yen. There's no major stable coin for the Aussie dollar, right? The Euro is the second largest currency in the world. I think it needs to have a stable coin. Um, I, you know, completely understand that people right now like stable coin companies or people, you know, companies, businesses that want to set up a stable coin, that's a great business idea. Given the current interest rate environment, especially in Europe where the earliest like you know mika regulation framework that comes up is essentially prevents the payment of interest so it, it's kind of like interesting you, you you have a positive interest rate environment all of a sudden and you know you can actually make a good business out of this but back to your point um i don't really understand why they're launching the stablecoin. i'm sure there's a business reason behind that as a user of stable coins what do you care about you want the coin to be stable that's it right you want it to do what it says on the tin which means it needs to be backed fully backed uh, by the underlying asset to which it's supposed to be linked. Um, and that's it. And if you have one or two of those, maybe two or three, depending on like, maybe one is paying a better interest than the other. Okay, fine. But five to 10, I don't see that happening
1: yeah, absolutely. And maybe on that point of you know having a few of them, I mean, maybe that's a point of competition where some stable coins, depending on what they're being backed by, they can market themselves as like, hey, i'm 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 more backed by this type of uh, uh we're more backed by cash we're more bet by backed by debt securities are in this so it might be interesting to see that point of competition another point i think that we were speaking off camera before we joined was you know it's the dollar is the is the, the reason that we see so many of them kind of pegged to the dollar is because the world is still really functioning on dollars and as time progresses. I think you were mentioning that you think uh, that we'll have some more introductions of of euro-based stablecoins or Swiss franc or other ones uh, as time time goes yeah, on. Yeah,
2: I, I so. think so. I think regulators will essentially, you know, force it to come into existence. I mean, it all started in dollars. Uh, the dollar is the biggest currency in the world. When crypto started, you know, things firstly got priced in dollars. I mean, so kind of like it, it has like, uh, it has a, you know, a an advantage there it was just first first mover advantage everybody needs to follow but i guess over time um you know for instance in in europe there will be regulation that will or might force an on-ramp and off-ramp to happen in euro and you know that it needs to be tied to euro stable coin and who knows how that is going to play out but i guess if you wanted to make a bet at some point we will have a big euro stable coin um, yeah. That is something I'd like to bet on. Question is who will be the issuer of that or who will be running that stable coin? That is still up for, uh, up for grabs, to be quite honest.
1: A good question indeed. Well, thanks for that, Moritz. It's gonna be interesting to hear Casper's thoughts on this later. Uh, another story we're looking at today, one of the world's largest Bitcoin mining companies said it's running out of cash Core Scientific says it won't make its November and December payments, warning that it may seek bankruptcy protection if the company's financial situation does not improve soon. They blame a prolonged fall in the price of Bitcoin, a rise in electricity costs, increased competition and litigation with bankrupt crypto lenders, uh, Celsius Network, among other things. According to a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Core Scientific held 24 Bitcoins and approximately $26.6 million in cash as of Thursday. And to put that into perspective, it was only September that they had a thousand Bitcoins and about $29.5 million in ca- cash. So quite a difference there, especially in the Bitcoins. Uh, Core Scientific went public in January. The stock opened today down some 70%. Sounds like a- another victim of a brutal crypto winter, huh, Moritz? What do you make of this?
2: Yeah, quite a drop. Uh, more, than, more than Facebook or Meta, as it's now known, which I think is down 30% as well. Uh, But that's a different story. Look, I I don't know the details and the specifics um, behind their demise or, you know, the the issues that they have. Um, What I can tell you is I'm in contact with some other very large miners, um, not daily, but, you know, a couple of of times a year. Um, And they tell me that even though the price of Bitcoin has dropped, they are running their business just fine. Um, And it's actually working well for them. So whether they have cheaper energy access or almost like zero cost energy access that i don't know it might be cheaper than what you know core had or has um but maybe there have been other issues at that the level of the business of core where things have gone wrong i mean I, I, I don't know that but yeah sure the price of bitcoin's down uh the price of electricity depending on where you live in the world is up but it also depends on the sourcing right i mean if if, if you run your mining business in like they do in Texas or in Iceland, and you have access to hydro and you have long term contracts, and maybe even own the asset, the, the, the power generation asset, um, you're, you're doing just fine.
1: Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also surprising that it's one of the world's largest uh, Bitcoin mining companies uh, that's that's going through this, and you would think that it would be, you know, the smaller companies, the smaller players, uh, because I mean, since this is one of the l- largest, you would think that they have more resources to be buying more, uh, more machines to be more competitive in the market, but. Uh, It turns out that uh, this can affect everybody. So definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. We talked about the great stablecoin war. Now on to the great regulator war. I'm exaggerating a little bit, of course. There is a conflict brewing between two U.S. financial regulators. We're talking about the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the CFTC, Communities Commodity Futures Trading Commission. One regulates securities, so stocks and bonds. The other deals with commodities. And you might be asking yourself, well, what's being contested? And it's actually the nature of Ethereum. According to the Block, the head of the CFTC Chair Rostin Banam said he thinks Ether is a commodity. And he added that the head of the SEC Chair Gary Gensler, quote, thinks otherwise, or at least hasn't certainly declared one way or the other. Banam says it will be up to Congress to determine this. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong picked up on those comments. He tweeted, quote, how does this serve America's interests? Lack of regulatory clarity is harming American investors investors in driving the industry offshore so more it's clearly there's still a lot of debate over ethereum's legal status and this is also a risk you know if it's driving the industry offshore what are your thoughts there
2: well first off bang on to brian armstrong and kudos to him i completely agree with him the lack of a the lack of clarity and the non-existence of a clear regulatory framework is a hindrance right Uh, that is not only true in the united states that is true essentially all around the world it's not only regulation, it's taxation, it's accounting. We've just, I think last week had an announcement by FASB, um, the accounting standards board, you know, coming out with new standards, uh, regarding mark to market treatments and, and accounting of, of, of digital assets on balance sheets, all of that market needs to come into existence and needs to become clear for investors to access the space for larger institutional investors to come in and access the space. They're very unlikely doing it without the clear framework being in existence. I'd also love it if the regulatory frameworks around the world would be relatively consistent to one another. So that it's not a in the United States and B or kind of like the opposite in the European union and C in Asia and D in Australia. And it's like, you know, then it's all kind of like mixed up. There needs to be a consistent framework. If that happens, funding comes, liquidity comes, risk-taking capacity comes, balance sheets open up, the entire space will flourish. So they need to kind of like get that done. Um, if you ask me, is Ether a security or a commodity? Well, Bitcoin, I completely understand why they would put that into the CFTC camp, saying it's a commodity, it's decentralized, nobody owns it, doesn't have a CEO. It's just, it, it exists out there, right? That is not really that true in my personal opinion, but you know, I might be the uninitiated here for Ethereum. There is an Ethereum foundation. There's clearly people developing code. There is like, they're not really calling the shots, but it's definitely different than Bitcoin. Um, And and, and even more so now that it has moved over to proof of stake. So if I had to make a guess, uh, I would say it's a security and it'll probably go to the SEC therefore. And most of the other tokens and coins that we have in our universe are securities too. So they will be living in Gary Gensler's backyard uh, going forward as well. And maybe Bitcoin is really the only one, or maybe, maybe there are a few others like, you know, configured and structured in the way that Bitcoin is that will be sitting with the CFTC, but most of it will be with the SEC, I guess.
1: I'm sure the the Bitcoin Maxis are loving your comments right now. (laughs) They're probably like, yes, Bitcoin is the only decentralized one. So uh, definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. Well, on to our final news story. Before we speak with Casper, uh, we have Asia's great crypto battle. Yesterday, we reported that Singapore proposed a string of new crypto restrictions, including tightening limits on retail trading. According to Bloomberg sources, another Asian city is making moves in the opposite direction. Hong Kong is planning to become a crypto hub, which will involve legalizing retail trading of crypto a mandatory licensing program for crypto platforms is expected to come into force in March of next year. The bigger tokens will be allowed to list based on their market value, uh, liquidity, and membership of third-party crypto indexes. Details of the plans are expected to be officially unveiled at a fintech conference on Monday. All of this is notable because so far, Hong Kong has been relatively unfriendly to crypto, not to mention the fact that crypto has been banned, effectively banned in mainland China. Uh, so that's that's where we're at for this story with that said for that's it for today's news on to our main interview let's bring in our guest casper Luke. i hope i'm saying that correctly casper uh he's the ceo and quantitative trader at Musca capital casper welcome to the show hi thank you absolutely arts well, uh please you know feel free to hop in here and take the it, take it away with uh with casper i'll be back with key takeaway shortly after
2: Thank you, Marco, and uh, welcome to the show, Casper. Uh, it'll be great chatting with you. Actually, you know, just on, on on the Hong Kong thing that we've just heard, you know, Hong Kong at the very beginning, if I remember that correctly, really didn't care. Like, you know, Sam Bankman freed, I think if I'm not misinformed, used to live there. And then, you know, they became kind of like less friendly and anti-crypto and people moved to Singapore. And now Singapore is becoming a little bit more restrictive and people moved to Dubai. And it's kind of like seems to be going in circles. Now Hong Kong is looking to make a comeback. Remains to be seen whether that is going to be, um, actually being, you know, uh, if people, people take, take the offer because China is in the background, mainland China is banning, you know, mining, um, who knows We'll we'll see, but Hey, uh, welcome to the show. Give us a little bit of an intro. What do you do? Uh, what did you, you know, how, how did you get into crypto just like a minute or two, um, uh, briefly on, on the background
0: um well in short uh, i'm casper i'm 22. i run a small coin shop in luxembourg uh, had offices in brussels uh, we trade anything in crypto doing both directional and delta neutral strategies i got in crypto in 2016. so i was a python freelancer at the time and someone wanted to pay me in some bitcoins i said that's fine received payment but i couldn't do anything with it uh, then i discovered that it was an exchange called Poloniex where i could bet on other coins using bitcoin Uh, and that's basically my introduction to trading, um, got a little bit of the, you know, the bug inside of me to, to trade and I've been doing that, uh, you know, as a hobby for two years. And then in 2018, I dropped out of high school to do it full time. Um, and then I, you know, four years later, I decided to start my own fund.
2: Okay, so you were 16 when you started trading on Poloniex, uh, which means like you you you've never really I think worked at a bank or or traded before. It kind of like you really you are crypto native. You started in the crypto business, um, and would you consider yourself a quant? I mean, is, is that your like your your background? Are you a math guy or like you know how do you trade?
0: Well, in the beginning, it was just more of a more gambling than anything else. Um, But it quickly became order flow. Uh, But since I was a programmer at the time and I wanted to, you know, scale up my business and improve myself and do analytics behind, you know, my performance, I decided to, you know, start building tools for myself uh, to help me, you know, create better entries, uh, find better opportunities. And later on, that also became automated strategies uh, where now, you know, it came to the point where. 95% 95% of all the actions that I take on exchanges is fully automated while 5% is only, you know, what human interactions or manual work.
2: Okay. And, and, and do you have a fund already in existence or are you looking to launch or, you know, uh, what do you do? No, where...
0: I've, it's been, uh, I've been busy setting it up the, the legal setup for over a year now, uh, in Luxembourg and it's now fully finished. We're now in, uh, our last quarter of our offering period, and then we're launching the fund, uh, in 2023, uh, the 1st of January.
2: Okay. Okay. How's, how's the asset raising going? I mean, it's a difficult market environment by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, can you get it to a, to a good launch?
0: Uh, We can get it to a good launch. Uh, We already have hard committed over a million. We're trying to get that up to five million, Um, but yeah, raising is definitely more difficult now that we are in a bear market and people are very afraid to invest in crypto. Uh, People are way more skeptical, uh, both in the, you know, in the crypto space, but also in the traditional space. I had, for example, a big VC in crypto that even went bust uh, and couldn't invest with us anymore, even though they uh, were soft committed.
2: Right. So what you do right now is you're essentially trading your prop account, uh, on, on a couple of exchanges or venues, uh, maybe still Poloniex, but probably also, you know, others such as FTX or Binance. I'm not not sure what you're doing or Deribit, Mm -hmm. um, Coinbase, whatever. And so, I mean, tell us about your trading style. I mean, what are you looking for? What are the inefficiencies that you're targeting, um, in, in general? Um, when it
1: comes to
0: inefficiencies, uh, the, main strategy that we do is cross-funding arbitrage. So we look for uh, assets where you get uh, paid to long it on one exchange, but paid to short it on another. And then, you know, we take that position on both sides. Our essential risk to that specific asset is none, uh, since we fully hedge ourselves and then we profit from the funding rate that we get and also on the spread between the contracts when that balances out again. Uh, when it comes to directional trading strategies, what we try to do is look at the order flow and see how players are positioned. And the moment that they get, uh, you know, in troubled waters, uh, you know, they start making losses. Uh, the market conditions aren't that good for them anymore. We basically push a little bit on the wound and, um, you know, take the other side of the trade. And So if there are a lot of shorts underwater, uh, we start to notice that and people start to bid it up. We start, you know, buying uh, that specific asset or longing it.
2: Right. So it's a combination of the first one you've explained funding ARP but Delta neutral strategy. And the other one is actually then a Delta directional, you know, strategy where for probably a short period of time, you would have directional exposure to the market given on what you've discovered in order books and order flows. Um, so, why do, you, why do you think that you can, you know, extract that alpha in, in a better way or in a, in a good way compared to some of the other people? Because, you know, funding radar is something that a lot of people do. There's a lot mm-hmm. of multi-strat quant funds out there that, you know, would essentially do and run the same strategy. Uh, what's your edge there compared to competition?
0: My edge is, first of all, uh, the way that we build our systems, it's very scalable. So it's easy for us to implement a new exchange without having to do a lot of work. The moment that we uh, change our API, it automatically can work with those exchanges without uh, us having to change any of our bots code or anything else. Besides that, uh, the way that we enter these trades and find these trades are very efficient. And we get most of our yield actually just by entering the trade in a very unique way. Uh, when it comes to cross funding arbitrage compared to you know just taking from the market uh, market buying or just you know taking big orders and um, we think that our edge mainly isn't there
2: at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible
1: pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty
2: care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's Wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Okay, so you're providing liquidity, you're entering that trade with a limit order and you're waiting you're waiting to get filled and you have an emergency on the trade? Um
0: no, it's not really that, but the thing is if I talk more about it, I'm going to give away the secret sauce, which I prefer not to do.
2: Uh, that, that that's fine. Okay, so uh, how big How big is the team there? I mean, is it you and, and, and how many other people?
0: Uh, it's me full-time and also Munir. Munir is someone who uh, also has a, a no background in the finance industry. Uh, he was a student uh, in Brussels. Uh, he's a, he has a master's in AI and quickly after joined me with a firm. He's been working with me for around 10, 11 months now, uh, and it's been going pretty well.
2: Okay, and, and do you have do you have plans and uh, about adding more people because like I guess a lot of investors are going to be shying away if they see uh, see just two people in the market that's 24/7, 365, also on the weekend, and you're probably living in the same time zone. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, you, you, are, are you running shifts? I mean, are you the one? Are you the night owl staying staying up between 10 p.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm definitely the night all and he is purely focused on uh, building the strategies that I give him or implementing some of our scripts. Uh, we're looking definitely looking to expand the a team, uh, someone that's more experienced in DeFi is definitely something that we want. Uh, and also, yeah, players in other time zones, like in the USA and China, would definitely uh, be handy for us. But that's something that we want to do the moment that uh, we have secured our funding, because at the moment I've already invested a large amount of capital uh, just for the legal setup uh, and all the rest. So. First, uh, going to make sure that we raise enough before investing even more.
2: Sure. Um, no, that's that that's interesting. Um, well, best best of luck for the launch. I mean, that that's clear. Um, related question, maybe on on like risk and risk management, and we you know we didn't speak about custody or any of these type of things. So, you know, to the extent that you you know have your risk or have your exposure on these trading venues, I mean, how do you think about? Like in CDS and credit terms, how do you think about measuring counterparty risk exposure there and and how can you make sure or how do you think that you're fairly compensated for it?
0: Well, when it comes to centralized exchanges, it's, you know, they have a, um, I forgot the name, uh, insurance treasury, Uh, there's another name for it, but basically uh, they have. A sort of insurance treasury that they build up over time. You can see it with Binance, BitMEX, FTX, etc. And the fact that 99% of all their assets are stored on cold wallets. So I'm feeling very secure there. When it comes to DeFi protocols, it's very difficult because there you have a lot of risk. When it comes to smart contract risk, if the uh, if there is a flaw in the engine design, like you saw with Drift, uh, for example, when Luna was crashing, um, or that the chain goes down, which also happens, uh, you know. Solana, uh, has some experience with, but, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to calculate in, but since, uh, decentralized protocols in general, um, centralized applications in general, um, are fairly capital limited, you know, we don't really have a lot of exposure there anyways.
2: Okay. Now you said you're, you're launching your fund in, in Luxembourg, probably as a SIF or RAVE because it needs to be an alternative investment fund. I mean, why, why the choose of. Uh, Luxembourg and not uh, like, you know, Cayman, which is, which seems to be the home for most digital asset hedge funds, because you can get to launch quicker and in and, and a cheaper way compared to Luxembourg. I mean, why specifically Luxembourg? Are you looking to target a lot of European investors?
0: Uh, Yeah, definitely. And we before we even started the fund, there was some interest from a big financial institution here in Belgium. And while they were not comfortable with having, you know, investing in a fund in Cayman uh, because it doesn't have the best reputation. And especially because it's already crypto, they see it as a risky investment combined with Cayman, it, you know, raises a lot of red flags for them. Um, And also there are some benefits when it comes to taxation. uh, When you are in Luxembourg, we are fully tax transparent. And if you are in the EU, that gives some benefits.
2: Okay, Um, so are there any other type of assets that you trade except for the ones where you can actually run funding ARP or or like, you know, the the order flow type of strategies on? I mean, you're dabbling in NFTs or anything like that? I
0: do. I do dabble with NFTs a lot. I'm a big fan of the Pudgy Penguins. Uh, The community is extremely nice The ladies too. Uh, something that I've been looking at lately is uh, market making on, on NFTs, which sounds very strange. But since the industry has really evolved, as in you can place collection offers and then you have um, a lot of different AMMs, uh, there are some nice arbitrage opportunities in there when there's a big price movement. Uh, and I've been playing around with that in a limited capacity and thinking of uh, scaling it out.
2: And that would also be a, a, a strategy that would live inside the fund?
0: That would, yeah, that would definitely, but we're still testing it out to see if it's really scalable.
2: Okay. Well, great. I mean, well, first of all, on behalf of all of us, I guess, best of best of luck uh, with the upcoming launch. Uh, I know it's a difficult market environment, but, uh, I I hope you'll make it and, you know, build the team around it, good returns. Um, and, uh, I mean, that would be great. The, the more good traders, the more good hedge funds we have in the space, the better it is. So thank you very much, Casper. That was interesting.
1: Thank you. Hey guys, that was a great conversation. Uh you guys uh... It was a, I really loved how you guys talked about Casper and how he got into tri- crypto trading at 16. He's setting up, you know, the fund in, in Luxembourg and it's launching soon. You, you guys talked about the team that's bootstrapping this. But here are my key takeaways. Well, first, you know, with Casper, you know, the ineffic- inefficiencies he's targeting is cross-funding arbitrage, a delta neutral strategy. Uh, you know, there's a, he's paid too long on one exchange and paid to short another. Uh, you guys are profiting from the funding rate and also from the sp- spread. He's also looking at directional trading strategies. Uh, looking for firms that are in trouble waters to push a little bit on the wound, so to speak. And although cross funding arbitrage is a common strategy, his fund's edge is that that you guys have a scalable system. When it comes to risk management and, car- and counterparty risk, uh, with centralized exchanges, they have an insurance treasury, and so and a lot of the funds are also on cold storage, so it's it's secure. There's not a lot of exposure there. And then also in terms of assets, what's really what I really find interesting is that you are dabbling with NFTs, looking at opportunities for market making with NFTs as the markets getting more evolved there's an opportunity for arbitrage there obviously you guys are still testing it but it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over time so those are the three things that stood out to me the uh the most moritz is there anything that you'd like to add to that
2: uh yeah maybe just you know final thoughts on, on these exchanges i mean i, I agree with casper that you know in, in prior years we had a lot of attacks happening on centralized venues right where essentially you know a hot wallet got drained and you know coins and tokens were lost and um It's been a while since we've seen the last major attack there or the maybe it hasn't been reported. Maybe I've overlooked it, but it, you know, it seems to me that most of the risk now lives in interoperability in DeFi and it's kind of like protocol Mm -hmm. risk, you know, bridges and stuff where, where stuff goes wrong. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, as you know with with exponential age we speak and and i speak the team speaks to a lot of digital asset hedge funds there's now more than two thousand in the vision hill database you know that includes vc but really the number of digital asset hedge funds has mushroomed in the last year um and and so so casper is looking to start a business around that but the the space is becoming more professional the space is becoming more competitive and in, a, in this new world where we now have positive interest rates and you can like get to like triple B investment grade, US dollar credit pays you seven or 8%. That's kind of like a hurdle that any type of crypto strategy that's alpha seeking, Delta neutral, market neutral needs to, you know, come over. Um, and so that also brings up the question, like, are you fairly compensated for all the risks that you're taking as a trader? You know, are you fairly compensated for liquidity risk? Are you fairly compensated for vol risk? Are you fairly compensated for delta risk? Are you fairly compensated for counterparty credit risk? And, you know, we don't see CDSs as trading for a or FTX. And you could say, oh, SPF probably has so much money. He could bail everybody out. And to an extent he does do that. Um, some exchanges such, such as Deribit, for instance, they have been attacked and they have bailed their people out, you know, through a token and these type of things. But that is all in the past. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen exactly in the same way in the future. And also the probability of an exchange attack is clearly not zero. It is a non-zero it, maybe it's a low probability event now, but it's a, not a non-zero probability event. So from a professional trading perspective, you kind of like have to build that framework and start thinking about, okay. Where am I exposed to? Where are my assets? Who has control over them? How quickly can I get them back? And do I actually get fair compensation for the risk that I have either in transit or on deposit at custody, wherever they're held? And what are they doing with it? Like, you know, that is clearly, that is one of the questions which at exponential age, we're, you know, asking our, our traders or people that want money from us over and over and over again. And we clearly demand, we don't demand perfect answers but we want people to think about this right and and be aware of it and and not be nonchalant oh it doesn't matter nothing's going to happen that answer isn't good enough
1: yeah I totally understand how about you Casper any final thoughts and also you know I'd I'd like to ask you like what do you think about what's going on in the wider crypto market in general
0: the wider crypto market in general well I'm, I'm pretty excited overall we have the Ethereum merge which happened successfully we're almost deflationary uh the volatility is picking back up again uh, liquidity is also improving overall on the markets so i'm pretty excited for it uh and we've been in a bear market you know going sideways for over half a year in a bear market for over a year uh so you know i'm overall pretty bullish and i feel very good about it all um now with regulation coming uh you know it has some downsides with some things i i don't agree with some things i do agree but i'm just happy that there's now you know Establishing a legal framework that we can actually use as professionals and build around instead of being in like a a sort of gray area or feeling insecure about, you know, what's going to happen when the rules come. Um, So overall pretty excited. And one thing that I still wanted to add about the stablecoin talk that you had earlier, uh, I do think that uh, the euro, euro pairs will overall gain more volume, not only because of the Mika law, which limits uh, a withdrawal of $200 million in stablecoins a day, maximum, well, non-euro uh, stablecoins maximum a day. And now also um, Circle creating the euro circle stablecoin. Um, you know, so that's also something that's happening uh, that I find quite interesting.
1: Awesome. Well, it looks like we have some viewer questions. Uh, I'm going to start with the first one here from Bass Poot. Uh, he's asking to Casper, Casper, is your fund more interested in hiring crypto native people or trade five people?
0: Um, I'm per- I prefer crypto native people, but I'm open to any.
1: Okay. Cool, cool, cool. And the next question here from Richard Bernard on YouTube, Casper, any thoughts on the Tron chain USDD stablecoin, which is algorithmic uh, stablecoin?
0: Well, it's a undercollateralized stablecoin, which you know tries to copy the Terra USD. well the Terra usd logic uh, usd logic which i'm personally not really a fan of and i honestly don't really have high hopes for it there's also a i think it was a 10 or 20% yield and uh, even today it was almost trading at 99 cents i personally don't really have high hopes for it uh, and um you know i'm curious to see how long it will survive
1: yeah absolutely how about you Moritz? do you have any thoughts on the on the tronchain usdd stablecoin i mean other than what we spoke about I, I, I've earlier, I've never heard
2: of it. I don't know it, but when Casper says it's built like uh, like Tara, then um, you know I'm staying away from no, it. That's you. for sure. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, that's great. That's great. Well, that's it for viewer questions. Thank you both again for this fascinating conversation. And that's it for today's show. Don't forget to subscribe, everyone. Real Vision Crypto is free. We also have some paid content. If you're looking for professional-grade crypto research, scan the QR code on the screen to find out more. And for those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything, the like button, the bell, and the subscribe button. Tomorrow, we've got Rab Massey from Deloitte, and we're going to find out how the world's biggest accounting firm is dealing with crypto. You don't want to miss it. See you tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern. live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.